0: Your attention, please. Any Alex left unattended may be removed and destroyed. Sorry, what? What did you just say? Nothing. But You're not even the usual airport voice. Who are you? This is the last call for the layovers podcast. But this is my podcast. Uh, th- the music. Just get into the aircraft. But what about Alex? Now... Oh, okay. Flight 104 to MSP! MSP surprise! We told you guys that we had never been to MSP. But as you just heard, Alex as again missed this flight. It's probably like five flights behind me by this time now. So I had to find someone to help me understand MSP because two things. First, I lied. I checked in my stats. I've actually been to MSP. I'll tell the story in a minute. But the person that will help me understand MSP and help me much more than that because he's an awesome guy. You've heard this name probably 200 times on this podcast because he's been one of our most loyal listeners. has been sharing with me a ton and ton and ton and ton of insights over the years. And now as his own podcast
1: about aviation and geekery. Doug, Officer Wayfinder. Hi, how are you, man? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for reaching out. Really appreciate it. It's kind of an honor to be on here. But for your listeners, I'm going to say this is kind of like expecting the Concorde flying from (laughs) London to New York uh, with Alex being here normally. And then with me standing in, it's more like an A320 with a couple stops along the way. (laughs) Not that I have anything against A320s, but Alex is the Concorde and I'm the lowly A320 because I know how much you guys love those. (laughs) Look, the reason I reached out to you
0: is because the insights you've been giving us, giving me over the years were absolutely fascinating. So you really know your stuff and you realize, guys, when i ask what type of work he's doing. And especially for MSP, Minneapolis-Saint-Paul, I'm going to pronounce it correctly, the reason I'm asking you to be here with me is because you've been more than 200 times to that airport.
1: Yeah. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, I was, I was born there and then grew up in the upper Midwest of the US, so... That was pretty much the only show in town, flying through Minneapolis, anytime you had to get anywhere. And now where where are you located? Northern California, just outside of Sacramento. Oh, wow. So Sacramento is your home airport. Sacramento is the home airport. And
0: the other thing that longtime listeners will probably know about you is that uh,
1: you're a Delta fan. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Although I I, I do have to be careful with what I say because my podcast co-host does not work for Delta. And I hope to fly for some airline someday. So I I do have to be a little bit careful with what I say. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're, not, we're not here to
0: bash airlines, as you know, but it's true that every time we were talking about Delta, you were either correcting us, adding more information, meaning that you know way more than we know Delta. Uh, Alex doesn't fly SkyTeam. Sky Team. I used to fly SkyTeam, Sky Team, but not anymore. I flew Delta once in the past three years, and that was in Asia, so the experience is not really valid. So I'm going to ask a lot of questions about Delta in this uh, episode, and we've got a ton, man, a ton of Delta fans, because you were not the only one. And every time we say something about Delta, it's like touching the holy grail. Like, yeah, no, 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 no <laughs> don't, don't say that. They're amazing. And you guys cannot see him because obviously I have the camera to actually look at him. He even has Delta
1: socks today. They're amazing, man. Can you buy them? So first of all, so, sorry to Drew, my podcast co-host, because he, he got me socks for the airline that he works for. Unfortunately, I'm not wearing those today. Yes. No, I, I got them for Christmas, actually. My parents gave them to me. They got them online, I guess. Oh, so they're very understanding your parents. Oh, play yeah. Play along your... Uh, are they in the aviation industry? No, my, my dad just travels a lot, kind of like you, for work. Yeah. And he's a big Av Geek as well. And oh. I, I mentioned to my wife that I wanted some Geek stuff for Christmas. And she said, no, I don't need any of that. So <laughs> I sent my sent my parents a message instead and, and said, hey, I'd like some AvGeek stuff for Christmas. So they got me a, a Northwest t-shirt, Northwest Airlines vintage oh, that's cool. t-shirt and the Delta socks.
0: Uh, so, so see, the link with me, my SkyTeam era, it's not a Delta era. It's like, you know, like Picasso had his uh, blue era. I had a Northwest. I was a Northwest guy. Because I was living in Asia and I flew a lot northwest, which transformed, of course, with the acquisition into Delta and to the flight to MSP, which you'll be talking about at the end, because honestly, my memory is is super, super hazy. That was eight years ago. It was the 17th of March, 2011. I went from Austin to MSP with uh, Mesaba Aviation, actually, which uh, then got uh, folded into Pinnacle, which then got bankrupt, which is now Endeavour which still works for Delta, and it was on a CRJ-900, and then I landed Terminal 1, I was at Gate C, transferred to Gate G, I think, Concourse G. Went to the Sky Club there for like two hours, and then I was in Delta 258, to Amsterdam, and so my experience was really short. It was two and a half hours in the airport. I remember both flights were cool because I took some notes back in the day, and I had peanuts and beer and chocolate cookie at the Delta Sky Club. That's about it from my experience. I don't remember anything else. <laughs> well,
1: well, we'll talk about it at the end, but you went to the wrong Sky Club. There are two there, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to it at the end. Oh, my God. See, if I had known you back then, I would have known what to do. So
0: you mentioned multiple times tonight did as well the podcast i think we have to mention the podcast that you do with drew the next trip podcast can you tell us a little bit about it and guys if you don't listen to it you're
1: doing a mistake i've mentioned it i think three episodes ago you guys just started like uh, last december i think we did yeah i I think early december was our first episode we're trying to do it once a week we've stuck to that even through the holidays and everything and drew is in airline operations works at a a major hub on the East Coast, and I'm a pilot, which I think we'll get to here in a little bit. And so, what we try to do, we both travel a lot for work and personal reasons. So we're trying to do roughly 50% operations discussion, and then 50% just Avgeek slash travel, kind of like you guys do talk seats, talk clubs, talk lounges, etc. But then also, Drew and I did a an Avgeek trip back in early December. We went out to LAX and stood under the approach path and plane spotted, watched the planes fly over. There's actually an awesome restaurant. It's called the Proud Bird. to a, a bar that wow. you can sit out on the patio. You can drink beer. We had Freak Flyer Old Fashions that we sat out and, and just watched all the all the planes come in for hours, essentially.
0: Oh, I need to come hang out with you guys. Yeah. I, I, and yeah. I need I need the location of that place, actually. I had no idea. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's walkable,
1: so- too. We, we walked it from the terminal.
0: Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. That's even better. Oh, my God. Oh, I need to know this place. And am I right to say
1: that most of you, both guys' experiences in travel are U.S. related? Mine is. So I fly for work. I'm an Air Force pilot in the U.S. Air Force. So Most of my Air Force flying when I'm actually flying the airplane is international, but most of my commercial flying is domestic. Every once in a while, we have to reposition to get an airplane or or something like that. So we might have some international commercial travel, but... The majority of my commercial travel is domestic, U.S.
0: We'll get to that, of course, in a minute, talking about your job, because I'm very, very curious. But uh, I want to say, I want to state that I did that the day I mentioned you guys starting. I'm really so happy that you did, because first, the more the merrier, but also because with the amount of information you were sending us, I was like, I need to invite him as a guest host every four or five episodes, because this guy knows so much about the aviation in the US, and we never had the chance, like you guys heard in the previous episode, which, by the way, Doug hasn't heard because episode 103 was released exactly five minutes before we started this recording. (laughs) We're today recording on Thursday, the 16th of January 2020. So meaning that this will be out by the end of the month, maybe early next. Next month, because as I told Doug just before I started recording, I'm doing my taxes right now, and it's uh I don't have time to edit a lot of stuff to be honest. But yeah, I'm really happy that you guys are doing it because I've been listening. Actually, you're doing something better than us. You're sticking to your about what is it, 30, 35 minutes? We said thirty.
1: Uh we said thirty. A couple of our latest episodes were touching close to fifty minutes, but uh I mean, be careful. Be careful. It's a we slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. That's the problem, is you just start talking and, and all of a sudden time. Gets away, and we set a timer on our phone, and the screen goes blank, and we say, "Ah, oh, forget it. We'll we'll just talk about what we want to talk about. <laughs> just let it go." That was
0: very evident in your back-to-back, very cool episodes. The one that was the last of 2019, which you talked about the past decade, and then the first of 2020, which were your predictions about the next decade, about the current decade now no matter if some people think the next decade starts in 2021, doesn't matter. I, I don't even it's, know where that
1: where that started. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I don't know where that whole <laughs> does the decade start in 2021 thing. Because apparently the day
0: that Jesus was born is year one. There's oh, no such, there's such no thing no, as a year, year zero. zero. Yeah, But yeah. at the end of the day, our minds work into tens and it just makes more sense yeah, to call and, it a decade. Yeah. I'm like, for me, the decade started on the 1st of Jan this year, no matter, though, the pundits are telling me otherwise. It's, and these two episodes were cool. And I could clearly hear you were limiting yourself to three minutes for each topic. We could hear the iPhone timer in the background. You were like, ah, oh, screw it. Let's just continue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is totally me and, and Alex all the time, by the way, which is why we gave up on having any sort of timing to the, to the sadness of some of our listeners. And I said you'd do it better because, you know, for me, I, I run a 5K, 5 kilometers per day. And, you know, with a warm up and a 5K, and then the cooling down it's exactly that, so i've been listening to three episodes this uh this week, including the two that we mentioned. In the last one, of course, by the time this is released, you'll have others with about operation. you had a, I think a friend of uh drew was yeah here, we, right?
1: uh, we had one of his coworkers he's the maintenance supervisor uh on shift with drew, so we had him on to talk about maintenance and the coolest thing about that was learning what it's like when a new airplane arrives on property and what they have to do to to kind of get it ready after it's delivered to the airline. So it was, it was kind of a fascinating discussion. I I learned a lot, so hopefully the listeners did as well. I did learn a lot because as our listeners
0: know, as you know, Doug, I am the, the candidate in this thing. I'm the only one who's not... Exactly related to the aviation industry. I work with IATA, I did work with airlines as well, but on the business side of things. So, all the operational side of things is I always learn. That that was a very cool episode. So, congrats. And, guys, listen, subscribe. We'll keep repeating that during this episode. Um, uh, it's not going to be 30 minutes. That's uh, when I'm <laughs> looking at my notes. Uh, Doug, prepare for a long flight. Am I right to say that you are on father's leave I as am. well? Yeah. I-, I say as well because you haven't heard, but will. Who was recording the previous episode was also
1: on Father's leave. So here, Sue in a row, yeah, it's funny. Everyone keeps telling me congratulations. But my daughter was born uh, almost ten months ago. and oh this wow, is, yeah, this is the first <laughs> the first real chance I've had to actually take the the time off and I had to do it before she turned a year old. So figured there was some downtime and travel after the holidays. so i I figured I would just take it right now, get it done.
0: It's been good. Yeah, enjoy that. So see, guys, I'm I'm getting co-hosts that are all on Father Leave. So if, if anyone is on Father Leave in our <laughs> listenership, just reach out to me. You'll probably be my next guest host. Although the next episode is already planned, but you never know, there might be other spots. One thing that you don't know, Doug, is by the time this is a release, so again, end of the month or early February, depending on my taxes situation, uh, or my accountant shouting at me. The uh it's and it's very fitting that you're here because you're one of our biggest listener. It's our five year anniversary. We started releasing episodes exactly five years ago in January, so happy anniversary to us. And a lot of the other fans that we have will be very uh jealous of Doug being here but again like as I just said you will have a shot maybe are doing this I just knew that Doug you know I- I've listened to his podcast and like this guy is perfect as a guest host uh, a few things before we go into the meat first I said in a previous episode that you guys could listen to us on Alexa and I mentioned that you had to use tune in but actually, and I don't know if you know that, Doug, you can directly use Apple Podcasts on Alexa now. Oh, wow. And if you shout, and I'm going to shout again for the same thing as last time, if you guys are on speaker, Alexa, play layovers on Apple Podcast. And that should actually uh, trigger your Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you can do that. A thought, I thought to my friends in the Philippines, there's this ash cloud that is now diminishing uh, through the... Uh, the explosion is not the right word, but the, uh, the awakening of Tal, which is a volcano north of Manila. I actually visited Tal. It, it's a beautiful place, of course, because the volcano was dormant. Now it's not. Uh, lots of friends of mine got stuck, actually. The airport was even uh, closed for a while. I think now it's reopened. Uh, I say friends got stuck even in Tokyo. Some of the flights going from Tokyo to uh, Bangkok, for instance, couldn't depart. So it was not as... Um, dire is a situation they uh had you, m- you remember Doug, in Iceland but at least yeah. dal is way more easy to pronounce that uh I <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't speak
1: Icelandic yeah no I don't <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't. I don't either. And on a more somber note, and I know that you guys mentioned it, and we are the same. We don't really uh, talk politics here. Uh, still, a thought for the Korean airlines in Iran, the seven three seven. It makes me, of course, and you sad for the families, for the airline, for the world of aviation, for my friends in Iran, and I have a lot. Some of whom are actually participating in the protests right now against the government, and it's. It's not the first time a plane was shot down. It was, it was Korean Air uh 007. It was like also Iran Air by the Vincennes. It's it's, it. But when these situations arise, they're always like so complicated and so sad. But again, it's a catastrophe, and we are on behalf of Alex as well. We are very sad because it's uh. It's always a dire situation. The one thing that I'm happy, happy is not happy, but at least not unhappy about, is that both Canada, which had a lot of uh, citizens in that flight, and the U.S. both directly insisted to the accidental character of the downing. So everybody's trying to de-escalate this, or at least... At least uh, we uh, get that. So you're a fan of Delta. Is that a is that a normal thing at Delta to dump a jet fuel on schools near L- <laughs> yeah, LAX? Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm <laughs> i A X? I'm laughing because I knew this was going to come up. I, I can <laughs> I can talk about it pretty extensively now that I know that this episode is going to get released after our next episode because we're going to cover then, it pretty extensively. Give me the lowdown. I know
0: it was a compressor stall issue. That's the only thing I know. Give me maybe your thought. And I want to yeah I want to say something. Of sure. course you might say it later, Doug. Due to his uh, job position, which we'll talk a bit later. Of course, this is only his opinion, and I'm not going to force him to
1: say anything that he doesn't want to. So go ahead. Sure. So I'm on a group chat with several pilots, actually several group chats. And first of all, we're all pretty upset with the media and social media response to what's going on, that everyone wants answers right now. Did the pilots do it on purpose? Was it an accident? Whatever. We'll figure that out. That's what investigations are for the airline is investigating the faa is investigating people will get answers i actually read an article today from i think it was in the new york times that a, a mayor who the town that all the schools were in that the fuel was dumped on um is saying that we want answers now we need answers now that's not how aircraft investigations work there's a due, yeah. there's a due process they have to sit down they have to talk to everyone they talk to the controllers, they talk to the pilots, they talk to the dispatchers, they talk to everyone, and they, they get an answer. So we won't know probably for weeks, maybe even months, as to what happened. But I can tell you that from a pilot's perspective, it is unusual what they did. So for, for those who don't know, Delta Flight 89, I believe it was, 777 200, LAX to Shanghai as Paul said, had a compressor stall on departure, which I don't want to say that that's normal, but it, it happens. Happens, yeah. It, yeah. It, it it happens. And two engine airplanes are certified to fly on one engine. So it's it's not a an issue where the airplane is going to fall out of the sky. This could have happened between New York and London over the Atlantic Ocean, two hours from any piece of land. And the other engine is certified to continue on, not an issue. So it it, it does happen. Now Normally in a situation like this, the airplane takes off much heavier than it can land. Heavy airplanes, most large airplanes in general, are heavier when they take off than what they're certified to land with. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't land heavy. And it's it's not necessarily dangerous to the passengers. If they do, all that happens is an inspection on the airplane to make sure that no skin was wrinkled, that nothing was broken, etc. And, and the pilots have procedures where essentially their vertical velocity, so the the speed at which they're descending, has to be less than a normal landing, because you, you want to touch down lightly. So there are a couple of ways that you can, we call it adjusting gross weight, that you can adjust gross weight. You can hold, you can just go spin circles for hours until you get below that, that gross weight. Now, there are Issues that we call them a flying problem or a landing problem. If you have some sort of malfunction like a blown tire on departure, and tower calls you and says, Hey, you blew some tires, that becomes a landing problem, which means you can fly indefinitely. So in a situation like that, they're not gonna dump. They're gonna go hold somewhere, they're gonna burn down, and then they're gonna go land. An engine issue is what we call a flying problem. Now, again, like I said, it can fly for hours on a single engine, but we don't necessarily know what other contributing factors were going on in the cockpit at the time. True. They, they yeah. may have had, so they sh- they shut the engine down. The ATC recordings that came out initially said that they didn't need to fuel dump. Now, at the end of the day, when a pilot declares an emergency, it becomes their airspace. The pilot is allowed to do whatever they need to to get the airplane safely on the ground even if that means breaking certain regulations. Now, if you break those regulations, you better have a reason as to why you're doing it. And you you better be able to back it up. And that's part of what they're going to find in the investigation. So initially, these pilots were asked if they needed to fuel dump to get down to a, a good landing weight. And they said no. And then I don't know when the dumping started, but at some point... And and they were only airborne for about 20 minutes. I watched the play back on flight radar 24. They were only airborne for about 20 minutes. They didn't circle at all. They didn't hold at all. They basically just turned to a downwind and and a final and, and came back and landed. So at some point on downwind, they started the fuel dump, even though they had told ATC that they weren't going to. So if this was an error by the crew, the investigation will find it and the pilots will be reprimanded accordingly like all these so-called experts on social media and, and <laughs> I, I did air quotes there on social media and in the media are are, are saying, and, and this is part of what's kind of making the pilot group chat that I'm on upset is that everyone is jumping to these conclusions and, and not letting them go through due process. Now there could have been a compounding issue that we don't know about yet. So when an airplane lands, we have to calculate a landing ground rule, which means based on that weight, This is the distance it's going to take you to land. If you're landing almost immediately after taking off flying from LAX to Shanghai, you're incredibly heavy. So your ground roll is going to be, I don't know on the 777 what it is, but I mean, we're talking thousands of feet longer than it would be when they landed at Shanghai. So if you have a compounding issue, such as a brake failure or a flap or a slat malfunction. So flaps and slats help you get slow, and it, it helps reduce that, that landing ground roll. So as they were starting to configure, get the gear down, etc., if they discovered that they had an issue with that, then would have increased their landing ground rolls substantially, and they're already heavy, then yeah, I could see why they would want to start dumping. It is something that we train for as pilots. So I've had to dump a couple of times due to emergencies that we have to get on the ground immediately for. Luckily, it didn't make make the news or, or you know, the, the <laughs> social media rounds like this. But again, the, the investigation will will figure out what's going on. Yeah. But if they did something wrong, they'll be yeah. reprimanded accordingly. And if not, they'll find it. And Unfortunately, people will probably still complain about what they did and, and why it was <laughs> not necessary, whatever.
0: It was fascinating during your episode about the, uh, you listed for you guys the 10 biggest events of the past decade of the the 10th. And you each had your list. And I don't remember if it was you or Drew mentioned social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, and, that was me. Uh, that's what I thought. And you're right. Social media has, has changed a bit the landscape of how you know, of course, airlines communicate, um, aircraft manufacturers communicate, but also how the public reacts or interacts. And it's true that the, these legions of so-called expert armchair analysts that have nothing to do or do not comprehend the the industry is massive. The, the one thing clearly that is a disconnect is the speed of social media has nothing to do with the speed of investigations and we've seen that repeatedly with all the incidents or accidents people want answers right now and sometimes politicians because of the pressure of their, constituent. their constituents with social yeah they also want and it's yeah you're right we'll learn I mean it's still sad that apparently I think the 17 kids were injured I don't know the extent of the injuries I'm not diminishing that but we will learn and as you say rightly so the uh, the pilots if they do something wrong we'll get a reprimand but Possibly by that time, more than possibly, actually, the people will have moved on, criticizing something else or some other airline. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's just the, the, the sad thing. So you also had sent me uh, two episodes ago. We were talking about uh, Dallas, DFW. Uh, you had sent me a message, but I withheld it because I knew you were coming. So I'd rather ask you, what do you think about? Dallas, forthworth Is that an airport you like or you don't? And do you have any uh, tips and tricks that
1: you want to tell us? Dallas, I think for most people, is kind of a love hate relationship. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think that most just general travelers probably hate Dallas. Yeah. I, I think that airline and, and aviation fanatics, AB geeks probably to some extent enjoy Dallas. The reason I say that, and I think I mentioned this in, in that text to you, was the Sky Train from terminal to terminal is awesome it's awesome ramp views do you see all the airplanes taxing you see them all parked really cool now dallas is is a beast of an airport and you guys yeah, did, you, huge, you yeah. talked about this in that episode just the the footprint is larger than manhattan i think you said and the terminals are very spread out. You, you can't do a 45-minute connection in Dallas. Or or if you do, you're going to be sprinting and, and riding the train, and, and it's going to be pretty miserable. It is very drab. You're right. It's, it's concrete. It's kind of dark. Now I believe you said you flew out of Terminal D when you were there. Yeah, yeah, correct. Terminal D is actually really nice. It's it's the newest terminal, yeah. International terminal, very bright and airy, and and glass, and a couple good lounges and everything there. But the other terminals are are just kind of boring, lacking of, of character. But. Dallas used to be the most efficient airport in possibly the world. Oh, wow. Because if you look at the the diagram of it, they're semicircles. Yeah. Before the age of security, even well before 9-11, back in the 70s, when you could just walk up to the gate and, and there wasn't airport security. Yeah, security at all. You could all, get yeah. dropped off at your gate, not just at like a central head house. Yeah, yeah you're right. you have to walk yeah, you're to right. the gate. right. The problem is once security started to become an issue in the 70s and they had to kind of retrofit the terminals with security, now all of a sudden it goes from being incredibly efficient to incredibly inefficient because you have to, it's it's like connecting a Charles de Gaulle for for all the, all the European listeners. I mean, that's (laughs) exactly what it is. Yeah. Now, if you're not flying through Dallas, there's actually an awesome plane spotting park that they've built the, the airport commission. I I think it was airport commission built, uh, probably about 10 years ago called founders plaza where you can go sit and, and, um, watch airplanes come and go. And oh wow. Dallas is, I believe, the third busiest airport in the US in terms of just sheer takeoffs and landings. I mean, wow. it's it's very busy in, in terms of passengers as well, but some some really good kind of av geekery that you can do that you can do there. In fact, I'm I'm to be there two weeks from now for a weekend. Just down there watching. Just yeah. Just in
0: just in that park.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be I, I've got some work <laughs> down in the area. I'm off on the weekend, so I'm I'm gonna rent a car and drive a couple hours to just go. Oh wow. I'd rather do that okay. than than sit in the hotel room in Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, City. Oh that's for sure. You know?
0: Oh wow. So now now you get my juices flowing. I need to actually see that park. Oh wow, thank you. And you haven't heard what Will said about it, but you also mentioned to me that you knew Denver as well, mm-hmm. which was the airport for episode one oh three. Any thoughts? You like it, hate it? T- besides the conspiracy theories about it. Yeah. You can talk about the conspiracies did, if you want, did,
1: but <laughs> did you well cover the conspiracy theories yeah, at all? Yeah, yeah it's yes. it's really interesting. Uh, we are
0: all a group of lizards and we're gonna have a meeting uh, <laughs> taking over the world in the
1: bowels of the airport. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really glad you guys covered that. It's it's fascinating <laughs> stuff. I mean, it's not true, but uh um, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're probably going to get some listeners' comments on that one. No, yeah, I, I lived in I lived in Denver for um, almost five years. My oh, wife's wow. family is from there. We still have family out there, so we go through there probably five or six times a year. Oh wow, Denver kind of has a love hate relationship as well. I don't know if Will mentioned that, but it's set up kind of like Atlanta. So it's it's got multiple terminals with a a train that kind of runs through the center. But the the difference between Denver and Atlanta is Atlanta you can walk it. Denver, you can't. There is no path that you can walk. Oh. So when one or multiple of the trains are down, you might wait 10, 15 <laughs> minutes for a train to go from terminal oh, to terminal. Oh, wow. Now, luckily, there isn't a lot of connectivity in between the terminals because United okay. is fully Terminal B. Southwest is fully Terminal C. But if you're going to or from security, you could be waiting 10, 15 20 minutes or so to get there just if, if the trains are operating on a limited schedule. That said, I really do like Denver. I mean, I've, I've been there probably 50 or 60 times and it, it really is a good airport. It's good for connections, kind of the east-west, which is why yeah. United and southwest even have, have built it up the way they have because it's really good for those connecting flows. Yeah, I'm, I think as soon as we stop recording this... As long as my daughter is still (laughs) asleep, I'll probably start listening to the episode. (laughs) Guys, now realize how
0: much you know about these airports, but let's go to your job a little bit because it's fascinating to me. Uh, I know a little bit about it because you had told me in the past over messages. The first time actually I see uh, Doug on camera and uh, you fly a KC-10. So I don't know, I mean, I know what it is, but tell us a little bit more about that and your job, and then how did you fall into that job? Sure.
1: Yeah. So I fly KC-10, which is a tanker. So we're essentially a flying gas station. Other airplanes fly up right behind us. We've got a boom. Boom. That, that lowers it's down so amazing man. and the airplanes fly up we plug into them and, and we pump them gas now the really cool thing about the kc10 which is based on the dc10 the commercial variant yeah. so i'm, I'm yeah. type rated in the dc10 the cockpit oh the cockpit is a dc10 cockpit so my pilot, wow. pilot's license i have a dc10 type rating which wow. is pretty cool um <laughs> yeah it is our airplane is able to take gas as well so we can go behind the tanker and we can take the gas as well. Have you done that? Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. So actually, the job that I was in before my my current job is I was teaching at the schoolhouse. So I was I was teaching students, new students, students who are upgrading to captain, how to either fly the KC-10 or or bring them through captain school, teaching them how to wow. do that that air refueling. No way! Wow! I, yeah, That's it's, amazing. It's, it's awesome. It's probably one of the coolest coolest things that you can do.
0: By the way, sorry to make a parenthesis, you guys might remember that I mentioned Officer Wayfinder, so Doug, like probably a year ago, two even, because you had sent us a picture of you listening to layovers with that view of another aircraft. And my knowledge in military aircraft is as far as Top Gun, so really don't <laughs> rely on me for anything but of the other uh, aircraft coming for refuel. And there was a picture of Leover's, which stayed, they say stayed the best ever picture a uh, listener center. So So how do you decide one day to do that? And go, oh, I'm going to be, you know, a gas man in, in the air. I mean, how does that happen?
1: Well, I, I've known that I wanted to be a pilot since I was probably two years old. Oh, wow. And Flying is incredibly expensive. I don't yeah, know if, yeah, yeah. if you've ever done lessons or, or anything. I, I think I remember yeah, yeah, Alex yeah. saying that he has too. It's expensive, and so there yeah. there are basically two paths you can take. You can take the "I'm paying for everything" path, or <laughs> the "I want to <laughs> yeah. find someone to pay for me to get everything" path. And yeah. <laughs> I kind of went in in that direction, so I, I ended up in the Air Force and. The way it works is you go through a, a year and a half long pilot training, very intensive. They take you from essentially zero to all of your FA qualifications in, in a year, wow. year and a half. And then at the end of that, um, you can choose what airplane you want to go fly. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to get it because it's all yeah, based yeah. on how you did in your class. The DC-10 was always one of my favorite planes growing up. I yeah, loved, I that. absolutely loved yeah. flying on the DC-10. I, I flew it all the time on on Northwest, I think United too. A lot of it domestically. I mean, flying on a DC-10 from Minneapolis to Seattle or Minneapolis to Orlando. I mean, two, three-hour flight on DC-10, that's awesome. Um, Actually, my my first time in Europe, uh, I was on a a Northwest DC-10 to Amsterdam. Wow. So, it it, kind of had a a special place in my heart. So I I, understand, yeah. Chose the KC-10 more based on the airplane than the awesomeness of of doing the refueling, <laughs> as you say. But that that's kind of how I, how I ended up there. But I mentioned I, I was teaching at the schoolhouse. I, I still do. I fly a couple times a month. But my job right now is I'm the chief of simulator certification. So I'm in charge of all of our training simulators. The full motion. I, I don't know if you've seen... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, the movie what was it Sully yeah. about yeah. The, the landing on the Hudson yeah. th- those full motion sims I certify those
0: ready for me so when you say you're certified mm-hmm. so you when you receive one at the Air Force you go and you make sure that it works the way it's expected when, and everything is
1: yeah when, when when we receive them yes but we've had ours for I don't know 20, yeah, I'm sure, 20 yeah, plus yeah. years yeah. but every half we have to go into each device and certify it so we, we have these tools that we use essentially where we look at the graphics we make sure the colors are correct we make sure the screens are all blended we put it through tests where it it shakes a bunch we check the hertz and make sure that wow. all of the legs are interacting and then the, the coolest part is we get to do what's called free fly, where we just do whatever we want. We go to whatever airport we want, we go fly whatever, we can fly fast, slow, low to the ground, whatever, and just make sure that the the handling and, and the maneuverability characteristics are the same as, as, as yeah, the real yeah, airplane. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. if, wow. if we discover discrepancy, then we tell the contractor, hey, this doesn't feel like the real airplane. They fix it and then we go back in and and we certify it. I also get to fly all of the training profiles. So most of the, the training in both the Air Force and commercial side as well to become a pilot is done in simulators. I mean, there is a lot of flying. Don't get me wrong. You guys don't need, need to be <laughs> afraid of, of pilots, whatever. But the, the Sims are so close to the real airplane that the majority of the training is done in the simulator. And so I I get to go fly all of the profiles, all the training profiles, all of our refresher, where where we go in and and do emergency profiles. I get to validate those. So I I go fly the profile and make sure that it meets all the training requirements and everything, which is super cool. And, And that's... Part, yeah! Wow. Part of the reason why why I travel a lot for work and and yeah now I start understanding because that was always kind of the
0: discrepancy in oh, I, I never asked you I should I, have asked I I, you, why I, knew, I, I fly knew
1: commercially you... if if I fly? yeah exactly yeah.
0: because you were flying so much with the air force that I understood it and I'm like yeah hey, you, you fly a lot commercially so it's get to point to point to get to these simulators it's basically
1: to, to get to the sims to go to conferences as well so we go to a lot of conferences where other all the other simulators are there I actually am I'm, I'm going to one in. April, which is the World Aviation Training Summit in Orlando, where wow. it's mainly commercial, but all, all the training systems, the airline training systems and whatever will, will be at this conference. So do a lot of that, basically kind of learn best practices, kind of get to see what other training systems are, are doing, talk with all those people and, and everything. And I know you and I were kind of texting at one point. I'm also working with, with some startups right now as well, yeah. Trying to update our training pipeline. So essentially, the, all the training systems that we do, the commercial side is so far ahead of basically where we are, and so we're working with a bunch of startups who have these awesome ideas in, in how to better aircrew training. And so I, I get to kind of go around the U.S. And, and meet with these people and interact with them and, and see how we can make our our aircrew training better for the yeah, aircrew.
0: you improve the entire. Oh wow, this is super cool. So. To talk about commercial flying a little bit, since you just uh, touched upon that. So when you need to do these flights to go to a conference, to go to one of your bases or training centers, I don't know how you call them, you said most of it is commercial. Do you have a choice? you fly whatever you want? No. How does that work? I, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately,
1: no. <laughs> I think you've mentioned what my quote-unquote favorite airline is. Um, no, it's it's all based on contracts. So if we're going to a, a certain city, all government travel is essentially, it's called city pairs. So if I'm flying from, I don't know, Sacramento to Austin every year, the airline's bid essentially on, hey, we, we want to serve this for the government, not just the military, the government in general. And we essentially have to then fly. We, we can choose schedules. We can choose connections. We, we can choose whatever, as long as the the price is what is at that set contracted fare. Okay. Um, and so that's actually really helped with as much as I would love to stay on one particular airline the whole time. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really helped with being able to objectively look at all of the airlines and kind of determine you know okay is this my bias coming in or is this really <laughs> is this really a bad experience it's kind of helped with with my website as well in getting this whole, oh yeah i should have mentioned it. this whole plethora yeah, you, of of things
0: yeah you have a website officer wayfinder.com which i i actually like i mentioned actually in the show once already because there's not like 25 ads in affiliate links which is very cool when you do a lot of reviews and I was trying to also to understand how your pattern was. There's literally no pattern yeah. in how you fly, <laughs> which is very cool because you really, guys, you don't realize how much Doug has been sending us, sending me, like, comments about all these U.S. domestic flights. And I'm like, he's flying literally everything. I mean, like, he has, like, seats. He was telling me about seats, about the service, about the certain pilot. I was like, how the hell does he know everything about this? Do you, um maybe for context, when you fly, is there, like, restrictions on economy, business, uh, whatever? I mean, they don't think there's is there a premium? Yeah, the premium for Transcon is it price? It's, contracting? It's, all,
1: it's all a price contract thing and it's, it's all economy, unless you have status, then you know they, they can't stop you from getting upgrades or, yeah, um, thank god, <laughs> yeah, or, or paying for upgrades or, or anything like that.
0: Oh, um, so yeah, because that was the next question. So the miles you accrue during all these flights are yours,
1: uh, they're mine. They do not, mm-hmm. oh, they're cool. Correct. Okay, yep. that's cool. Yep. They're, they're mine. And uh, <laughs> Delta actually just last year started a system where you can use miles to pay for upgrades instead of instead of money. Yeah. And so I've, I've done that a few times. If I'm on a long Transcon flight and it looks like I probably won't get the upgrade and it's, it's a decent price, then I'll use that for the upgrade, essentially. Now, for, for the European listeners, we're not talking about Euro business, you know, the, the 3-3 with <laughs> yeah, the blocked true. off seat in the middle. We're, we're talking like true domestic yeah. style 2-2 yeah. configuration, much better service, et cetera. We then, if, if we want to do that, we'll pay for it ourselves. And besides the, I mean, the DC-10
0: has disappeared basically from commercial service. So I don't think you can even fly it anymore. And that would be maybe awkward because, you know, that plane inside and out. What is your favorite aircraft to fly on? And again, your favorite aircraft is a DC-10, or maybe it's changed, by the way. But what would be your favorite aircraft to fly on these days?
1: still is a DC-10. I mean, you can't fly on it anymore. It's That's always yeah. going to be my favorite plane, but it's a close tie between the 747 and the 757, which I, I know you guys oh, yeah. you guys don't have a lot of 75s over in Europe anymore.
0: I just flew Air Astana, okay. which is a Central Asian yeah. airline, which has it from London to Nur Sultan. And that kick at the start, you know, is yeah. really awesome, actually, and the square-ish window yeah. as well, I, I love. But yeah, it's true, we don't have it a lot. You still fly that a lot? Can you quite, a a lot yeah, quite a bit, quite a bit.
1: I don't know the numbers right now. I think Delta still has over 100. I, I know United and American. They're they're all slowly starting to retire them as the A321s and yeah, yeah, 737 yeah. 900s kind of come online and, and replace them. But yeah, I I was on back in November, December, I was on probably half a dozen 757s. I'm on a couple coming up in the next few weeks. It's it's just I kind of <laughs> go out of my way. I was about fly to fly on if you a 757. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that was exactly where I was going to like do you optimize because Alex and I we do that I mean I, when I saw that I could fly the 757 to Astana I'm like of course I'm going to do that just because I don't get the luck to fly it often yeah. so wow that's that's. Um. and when you fly I'm, I'm guessing you fly for yourself as well vacation holidays mm-hmm. so I guess that's Delta now maybe because you're accruing miles elsewhere maybe that's changing but do you see yourself flying the same way you fly when you fly for your work or the way
1: you Choose your airline, your route is completely different. Completely different. So now, now the, the the way I fly is <laughs> completely different as well because I've got my wife and two kids in, yeah, in yeah, tow. Yeah. So, you know, I can't show up at the lounge super early and just have some <laughs> drinks and relax because there's no relaxing when traveling with children. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I have to be in Orlando in a few weeks and I'm flying through Seattle. So I'm flying from Sacramento to Seattle back to Orlando. And if you look at it on a map, it doesn't make any yeah, sense. Ne- Why would you do yeah. that? Because I'm on a 7.5 from (laughs) Seattle to Orlando. And actually, I'm pretty upset. Originally, I was supposed to be on an A220 from Sacramento to Seattle, and they swapped it out. It's now a, a regional jet. Have you flown it? I haven't, yet? no, I was so, exci- oh, I was so excited God. for that. And I got the notification. Nor- normally when I get the notification, hey, your flight's changed, okay, cool, whatever. But I got it and I was like, oh, it better not be my A220. <laughs> Pulled it open and it was the A220. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, come on, <laughs> oh, so mad. Oh, dear God, I had the 220 later
0: in the show notes, actually, well, we'll talk about it anyway. Yeah. Uh, who gave you the notification? Is it the airline or is it an app that you have?
1: Uh, yeah, well, so both.
0: Because that's, for us, it's amazing. We We don't get change of aircraft notifications in Europe for any airline. I mean they'll tell you schedule notifications, yeah. but they'll never tell you, "Oh, you know, you were supposed to be on a 777 and now you're going to be on a 380 or you're going you were on a 320 and now you're going to be on a 321." Never. So never.
1: Don't, you don't have to get that excited because it, it wasn't an aircraft change notification, it was just the schedule change from oh, the airline. So oh, I okay. I happened to look. Now, there's an app Flighty, is what it's yeah, called, which yeah. is awesome. I mean, amazing. Yeah. Sometimes they'll in, they'll inundate you with updates, but I I enjoy that. <laughs> Kind of
0: stuff. I've been on the Alpha and then the Beta for those guys. We'll invite them on,
1: on our show. They probably are av geeks. to oh, sure, give yeah. you that level of yeah. depth. Like, it's, it's awesome. I, I've had a, si- a 6 a.m. flight before. And when I went to bed, it was one tail number. And, and when I woke up to head to the airport, I had 20 notifications that the tail number changed. <laughs> 10 minutes later, the tail number changed. 10 minutes later, the tail number changed. Just all over the place. <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's great information. Yeah,
0: I love that. I'm sure that more regular travelers will be over overwhelmed by this, but for me, I I love it. I even keep track of all these changes, but yeah. But I was asking you because I remember using, I think, United's app, I could see, you know, the same thing that they have on Flighty. Where has my plane been? Yeah. United was telling me it was two years ago, ready like the maybe four routes that the plane was on before with the timing. So I knew if the flight I was supposed to be on is going to be on time. And this is kind of information we don't get in Europe. So it's uh, so you you that's can, really cool. You
1: can actually there's a kind of a backdoor way that you can find that not from the airline. But if you use FlightAware, yeah, you can yeah. you can track that airplane back, so you can look for yeah. your you can look for your flight and you can track it back. So even though the airline may not be giving you that information, now it works differently based on where you're at. So if if you Paul sure. are leaving from London, let's say you're flying British Airways just for easy argument, yeah, yeah you're leaving yeah. from London, you're on BA, and your inbound plane was scheduled to come from Stockholm or whatever, and mm-hmm. it's delayed. Because you're at BA's hub, they easily could just swap out. Exactly. Now if it's the opposite, if you're going from Stockholm to London and the airplane is delayed inbound there is no swap that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, you, you basically described one of my strategies. I always, always track inbound planes on my own when I'm on non-hub airport, because I know that, well, if it's not here, it's on this way, well, I more, might as well just stay in the lounge. Yeah, more yeah, exactly. lounge time, exactly. <laughs> there you yeah. go, yeah. But I think the level of details that the, the data that these apps are getting in the US is much more important than the data that in Asia and in Europe they're getting because clearly when I use Flighty or other apps or Flightstats, FlightAware, mm-hmm. I can clearly see that the level of details, the number of updates to come to your point is much higher in the US. I'm, I'm thinking that the waterfall of data that comes at the end on the screen of our phones, it's much higher mm-hmm. than we get here. Sometimes here the Whereas my plane being on flighty is not updated until like an hour before, I can see the aircraft Uh, basically out of the day. So I just don't know, you know, I make assumptions. When I say I'm tracking, I will track, to take your example, I'm in Stockholm, I'm gonna track the BA flight that comes to Stockholm. I'm not gonna be able to say the tail number Mm -hmm. because I still have no idea. Anyway, just one more question about your job and you don't have to answer it because that's a forward thinking statement. Are the skills that you're building now uh,
1: Chief of Chief. Yeah, chief, 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 chief of, of yeah. certification.
0: <laughs> Is that transferable to commercial?
1: I don't know. I oh, okay. I actually I'm going to the FAA in Oklahoma City in a week to get FAA certified for it. I, cool. I don't know necessarily on the airline level. I'm guessing that they have their own staff, not pilots. So that could be something that I could go into, but it would it would mean probably not flying anymore if I did that. So I, I really don't know, but any certification like that is not a bad thing to have kind no, of, of course, in, yeah, in your really. hip pocket. Exactly, yeah.
0: So I'm not going to ask you the question. It just means that maybe someday you'll have a similar job or different but in the commercial aviation world. You won't be able to fly DC-10s, however, but probably something uh, as cool. In your predictions, so guys, again, listen to the Next Trip podcast. In uh, one of your predictions, you were talking about the future of aircraft flying. Will aircraft be flying through means of electric power? Clearly no, and I agree with that. But then you had a debate about whether or not there will be still pilots in it or not, and you both said there won't be like self-driving planes, which I agree. However, the one point you didn't mention, and I wanted to ask you, because that's a very strong pressure here from low costs in Europe, and low costs in Europe are very powerful, as you know, Ryanair, EasyJays, and others, they want to move to a single pilot for short haul. Do you think that will happen in the next 10 years?
1: I really don't know. I feel like Europe, because of the, was it German wings or Euro wings? Yeah. One, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, it was yeah. German wings.
0: Yeah, the one that crashed, the pilot that basically suicided himself, <laughs> Yeah. Itself, I, yeah. I,
1: honestly, I I can see, and I would I would definitely feel like O'Leary would would want to do this. Yeah, exactly. In fact, he would probably he would probably make another pilot fly along, but he would probably make that pilot pay for it, that flight. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I, I really don't know. Definitely from a cost cutting perspective, yes, it would make sense because yeah. the staffing, especially the, the pilot staffing is aside from jet fuel and the actual cost of the airplanes themselves. It's one of the highest expenses that airlines have. So if you could cut that in half, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the airlines would love to do that. But at the same time, there is something called CRM, crew resource management or, yeah. or cockpit resource yeah. management. Yeah. And I, I can't tell you the number of times, even as a captain, where I had my first officer catch a mistake of mine, or when I was a, a first officer, catch a mistake that a captain makes. There's something to be said for multiple pilots. I agree. There, there I- was a a Northwest flight back in I think it was the late '90s from Minneapolis to Tokyo that had a rudder malfunction over Alaska, and they were able to remember they that, were yeah. able to barely limp the airplane back in mm, exactly I- dead stick it into Anchorage due to the length of the flight they had four pilots and when the rudder essentially snapped and it put the airplane in, into almost an uncontrollable situation the two reserve pilots who were sleeping at the time came up, and all four pilots worked to get that airplane together, together yeah, yeah, to yeah. get that airplane on the ground. Yeah, it's yeah. situations like that, or or the Sioux City DC-10, the United yeah. DC-10 that went down in, in the late '80s. There was a a sim instructor that was sitting in the back. I believe it was a sim instructor who came up and and helped the pilots kind of deal with it, and he was the one who suggested using the throttles to basically turn. So there's something to be said about having multiple minds in the cockpit helping out with with this kind of stuff.
0: I personally do agree, actually, uh, fully with you. But I wanted to ask this question because when I was listening, I think it was the other, yeah, it was two days ago when I was running, I was listening to it and I said, oh, they didn't talk about single pilot. You know, the last pressure is the pressure of cost, like you said. The other pressure is there's not enough pilots. So it's probably also a way for many airlines to think, oh, we don't have enough pilots, not enough in the pipe. I, I think it's the wrong way of answering the question. The right way would be to lower the cost of and allowing pilots to get into the pipe through military programs like you're doing, but not through uh, the Ryanair program, <laughs> which asks you basic to basically pay for yeah. it. <laughs> 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 then take you hostage for the next 10 years. Oh my god, Ryanair will hate me for saying that. <laughs> I have friends of mine who are pilots of Ryanair. They're liking it. So I'm, I'm being too harsh here. Uh, one other thing, and then we'll move to the MAX, because uh, you guys talked a lot about the MAX. And finally, guys, we're going to talk about the MAX. Not with Alex, but with Doug because he knows about it. One other thing you mentioned in one of your episodes, the prediction ones, is you said, again, I'm not sure, I think it was you, but maybe was it was Drew, that said that in the US, we will be seeing more and more the use of buses, yeah. so non-hub airlines, in small, but could be bigger airports, saying that instead of having a 30 minutes flight to one of their hubs, they would actually provide you with a bus to fly there, and I think you're right it will probably also happen in Europe. Probably the biggest difference in Europe uh, will be that instead of uh, bus, it might be a lot of trains because our train network is obviously bigger and it's increasing. The high speed plans are are expanding. But yeah, I think it's absolutely sure. I can totally see that happening in the US. As an Geek, I'm like, "Ah, do I really want to get on the bus for like three hours to reach another airport? But as a general public thing, it could actually work. That's a good one you spotted right there.
1: That was actually me that said that. Oh, there you go. Yes. So, so Sun Country Air lines, which is a small low cost carrier actually in Minneapolis based out on Minneapolis, they're running a bus from Duluth, Minnesota to Minneapolis, which is, it would be about probably, like you said, a 30 minute flight uh, Instead, it's maybe a two, two and a half hour drive. And there's not enough demand. They only fly 737s, single class configuration, high density. So there's not yeah. enough demand for 170, 175, however many seats they have from Duluth to Minneapolis multiple times a day. So instead, yeah. to get these customers to the airline, they're running a bus service from the airport to the major hub. And if you think about it, if you want to fly, say, some country airlines, you're going to have to drive to Minneapolis anyways. Yeah. So yeah. why yeah. not just have that wrapped into the cost of your ticket where you go to your, your small town airport where you don't have to pay for parking or parking is a lot less expensive. You then don't have to worry about making that drive. Let someone else, the airline, worry about that. Now, all of a sudden, you're flying Sun Country Airlines, you're going to connect to Minneapolis as if you were coming in on a a small regional jet, whatever. It would be a way for, kind of the way that I pitched it was, it would be a way for airlines to catch frequent flyers in markets that they don't necessarily serve. Yeah, yeah. It, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Well, and, and with all the environmental discussions Issues, yeah. that are going on, sure. running a bus is probably arguably more environmentally friendly than running a 35-50 a seat regional jet from some of these small markets for a 30-minute flight.
0: Yeah, we, we don't have time to cover it today because there's so many other topics I want to talk to you about, uh, us space, but the almost demise of Flybe, which is a small airline that was about to be renamed Virgin Connect here in the UK that was saved last minute. A lot of the criticism of saving it is not only about the use of taxpayers' money, but it's about climate. They said, well, because people that wanted the airline to survive were people that were saying, but if this airline disappears, I don't have a way to go to work. And the retort to that is, yeah, but there's other ways, trains and buses that could have actually alleviated for climate. Anyway, no time to talk about this because there are so many other things and I'm looking at the clock running and with Doug, I could talk for five hours <laughs> and I know that our listeners, they're very good are listening for two hours, but maybe not four. Uh, uh, but talking about trains, that would allow me to make the segue. Qatar Airways actually just announced a co-chair in Germany with uh, Deutsche Bahn, so the train operator in Germany. So from eight cities in Germany, you'll already be co-chairing with the train to go to the airport where they're flying away. And I think this is a trend uh, that will actually increase uh, over time. And you're absolutely right, since the train is less of a a common, I mean, fast trains, unless you live in uh, the East Corridor, you don't really have them in the US. I think buses is indeed a good uh, solution. Have you seen... um It was at the end of 2019. I don't know if you've covered that. Have you seen these uh, seven flights from Qatar Airways that (laughs) went to Doha? So the first day, there were four. And uh, the second day, there were three. And by the time the three ones, the four ones, were actually going back to the US. I mean, uh, talking about climate change, that was not maybe the best use of these airlines. The reason is... Of course, first is Boeing wanted to make their Wall Street happy because this is a delivery that would have happened in 2019 and 2020. And the reason they had to go back is because they were not fully fitted. So the the planes were ready, but there was no seats. There was none of the stuff. But I mean, this is a bit... uh I mean, I get it why they do it, but at the time of climate change, I'm not sure. What what do you think?
1: Yeah, everything that I read said that it was for tax purposes, that in order to to hit whatever tax marks, thresholds they needed, it had to to touch... Qatari land basically. And then it yeah, exactly. flew, flew yeah. back to Southern California to get, I think the Q suites installed.
0: The seats. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I get it from a tax perspective, but I think that it's an antiquated system to be honest. Yeah, it was probably clearly. back in the, the paper pushing days. This is yeah. an electronic age. How, how can we not, yeah. we, we always say in aviation, everything is waverable. How can we not work with the Qatari government or whoever we need to and say, okay, listen, their plane isn't going to touch soil, but let's call it delivered, let's yeah, waive what, I agree. what we need to.
0: It could actually be the import-export bank, you know, they get support yeah. or uh, stuff that they export and maybe they had to hit the 31st of December to actually get that s- subsidy or whatever help it is. Yeah, but I agree with you. They should have said like, look, they are clearly for Qataris and, you know, just mark them down. I fully agree with you. I, maybe this will be a wake-up call, though I, you know, bureaucracy justifies itself by paperwork. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go the 7.3 Max. We haven't ourselves talked about it for like episodes and episodes because of its a bit somber nature. I'm not gonna try to be somber, of course. Here, you guys talked about it. You know, and this is why you triggered this uh desire of mine to talk it with you because you had like great points all over it. probably you're so closer to a market that is important to make a little recap bear with me doug here quickly i'm gonna take a few steps back for our listeners since we last spoke about it lionair the first report came out which as we had said and as i think you guys also said well clearly there's no one single cause for the lionair crash it's a Cascade of deficiencies is also a complex chain of events, if you want. There's also some of the blame to put on human errors, like being unable to quickly identify a checklist, or apparently the captain did not properly brief the first officer when handing over the controls. And obviously the angle of attack refit that was done by a Florida-based company, which since then has been banned from doing so. I mean, it's complex, which... Go to the point, like you said earlier about that Delta fuel dump. It's never like black and white and one single thing. MCAS is clearly at fault, but additionally with all these issues. Then what came out and what was interesting to me, and this comes back to your point about the startups you, you're working with, probably, is this uh, how to handle a shitload, pardon my French here, of alerts at the same time as a pilot, having you know everything, you know alerts, alarms, the yoke that is moving to tell you that you're having an issue, and this kind of overwhelms you, and the NTSB said that Boeing uh, didn't assess enough how pilots respond to multiple alerts like this. Maybe we'll have new types of processes here. And then there was, and that's what made the headlines, mostly, there were all these messages that came out uh, from uh, whistleblowers and other uh, origins from Boeing. Uh, at first, these were messages that... The airplane was running rampant when they were doing the flight simulator, so very early on. Then the FAA released the first report, including one fact that uh, Boeing wasn't planning to fix. The warning light, guys, you probably know what I'm talking about here, until 2020. Then Ralph Nader is very well known in the US, consumer advocate. What I didn't know is that one of his uh, grand nieces actually was killed in a yeah, in crash in, uh, in Ethiopia. Yeah, yeah I, I had no idea. Who called for the for the resignation of the entire board. And until that time, we're still in 2019 here. Boeing hadn't really moved. And then they fired the boss of Boeing commercial airplanes, Kevin McAllister. And then finally, after a congressional report, I say finally because a lot of us think that it should have happened before and not to this demand, but they removed the Mullenberg of his German title, kind of starting to make changes at the head at the top. And then, as if it was not enough, when it pours, it rains. We had this new insights into the culture something that we both, I know you guys did as well, we, we criticize here the culture of Boeing, of mocking the Lion request of additional training, having this sentence that was all over the news, this airplane is designed by clowns who in turn are supervised by monkeys. These are all quotes, citations from inside of the company. One other was, I still haven't been forgiven by God for the covering up I did last year. So really kind of uh, showing uh, that the all that happens were not from some unfortunate design error, but like the actions of a company that was a bit self-regulating, that had to like push for production quotas. That I, I don't want to say that safety was an afterthought because safety is still important for Boeing. But maybe you know meeting deadlines became the matter, and uh, and they were not punished for any any of this. So, that's for my kind of a very quick recap. What are your thoughts on all this? One thing that I thought was very interesting, in, and I think that was in your top 10 of the last decade of the 10ths. you said that if, maybe that was Drew again, sorry guys, because I was listening and I don't remember which one of you, you said that if American Airlines hadn't made that big order of 320s back 10 years ago, basically... Maybe by now, Boeing would be in an entirely different situation, having had actually built the successor of the 737 instead of that MAX. And maybe also actually having delivered or being about to deliver the the middle of the market planes, the 797. So I'll I'll let you speak as long as you want. What what are your thoughts about this entire story and where does it go to? Well,
1: it's really sad, first of all, to kind of see everything that's happened. But I think that the media really is, and rightfully so, fixating on all all these issues. But you have to think about Boeing is a company of 140,000 people. 99.9% of them are all really good, hardworking people of integrity. It's the select few that are kind of being picked out in, in these email exchanges and in some of the, the leadership who unfortunately have, have ruined it for everyone else. And we're not even just talking about Boeing. We're also talking about all the supply chain. I don't know if you yeah. saw. Oh, yeah. I think it's Spirit yeah. Aerosystems who makes the fuselage for the 7.3 Max. They're laying off almost 3,000 people because yeah. they're not doing anything for that right now. I'm sorry.
0: I should have added, and you're right, because again, we haven't talked in this podcast. You guys talked about it. The production line stopped. stopped, After like hesitating, reducing. Now it's stopped. Maybe they ran out of parking space, actually, where to put it. But they stopped because, and I think airlines themselves have all pushed the reappearance to at least a summer. And I think even Ryanair says not before October. Sorry, but go on.
1: Yeah, it's uh, June right now is is what uh, at least the the US operators are saying is the earliest return. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of this ripple effect. And Drew and I talked about it on, on our podcast that this is going to be a leading case study for every single business school for the next oh, yeah. 100 years about how <laughs> to do things right, how to not cut corners just to cut costs. Because if you think about it, if they had said, okay, fine, let's fix the problem before we get it to the customers, delay it by a year, do additional SIM, whatever, you know, it might cost put some... Millions of dollars. Number, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, some yeah. number, whatever. But I mean, we're talking about. I read a recent report this week in the Wall Street Journal that Boeing might need to actually get finance from the U.S. banks, from from someone basically to continue operations right now. Because mm. they had a, a net negative in deliveries last year. Their order books are, are pretty terrible. <laughs> Magnus 80s. Exactly. <laughs> and I know that in the business world, everyone hates to use the term too big to fail. But Boeing is too big to fail. It is. Because it, I agree. If, I, I fully and agree and I, again, I hate saying that. But let's say Boeing were to go under by the end of the year. That's not going to happen. But let's just play along. Let's say they do. The only person there to fill the void is Airbus, and they don't have the production capability to no, be able to keep up with the global demand for no, aviation.
0: And on top of that, we live in a world, especially in the past five years, it's a personal comment here, on a more kind of high level, the grand chessboard of this planet, where kind of every, let's say, economical zone is defending their own. So, you know, the US will keep defending Boeing, and, and rightly so. This is not a criticism. And Europe will defend Airbus and uh, Chinese, Comac. And I don't see, honestly, anyone in the US government, whether it's Congress or the president, accepting to basically having a Boeing fail, which is why I agree. Some listeners might remember that I am against the theory of too big to fail, but that's a personal comment. I think in reality it will happen. There's no way Boeing will disappear. There's just no way they will disappear. I fully agree with you. Sorry I interrupted
1: no, you. No, no, that, that's fine. Now, one thing that I mentioned on our podcast was, yeah, you're right. Americans order back in 2011 for Airbus is kind of what started the whole, okay, we need to, to make a new engine offering, the MAX essentially for the 7.3. Yeah. Don't go with the clean sheet. It'll be quicker and easier to just slap some new engines I'm kind of saying this in in jest, yeah, if you will. Course. Slaps yeah. new engines on on a seven three body and call it call it good, essentially. Now, I also said even this is going to sound bad. I think it's good that this happened. I agree for global aviation. Unfortunately, three hundred some people lost their lives. So I'm not saying that yeah. that's good. But let's say American didn't place that order and Boeing had done a clean sheet seven three seven replacement. All of these bad apples who are coming out in the media now that, that they're kind of uncovering, they would still be there. So, they would be I on agree. the development team of this new airplane. So, what this is doing is I think this is kind of... Cleansing. This is that timeout. Yeah. Everyone called a timeout. Stop what you're doing. Let's fix the problem that we have. And I think that 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, this is going to make global aviation, Boeing, the airlines, business in general, global business, the FAA. It's going to make everyone better. And not even in the aerospace industry. I was actually just everywhere. I was thinking about this after dropping my kids off at daycare this morning, but that's what I think about in the car. I think about aviation-related <laughs> stuff. But I was thinking about th- this is going to spill over into global commerce, global business. They're going to say, don't be Boeing. When people come on, on board a company, they're going to say, be a person of integrity when no one is looking. Don't do what Boeing did. Don't try and cover things up just to save costs, whatever. I mean, I mean, th- this is that, yeah. that case study that we talked about. Now, what I find very interesting, I don't know if you saw this, Airbus last year had commissioned a book for their 50th anniversary. It was a sponsored book, but everyone who had read and reviewed the book gave it glowing reviews but it wasn't fully clean of scandal. I, I mean Airbus has had their not Boeing level, not like the last year. No, of, but a they had no, no, you know. They they've oh, they ha- they they had some scandals in, in their time and and, oh, yeah. and first of all, I should say, I'm not an Airbus or a Boeing fan. I'm an aviation fan. So I'm not speaking from a, like I'm I'm on team Boeing, team Airbus, whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, same. Uh, yeah, same.
1: So uh, this this book that they commissioned, the reviews that I that I read of of the book said it was dirty. I mean, it got down into the nitty gritty, talked about some of these scandals, but then Airbus has become a better company because of it. And that's what this book said. The end of last year, Airbus pulled the book before it was released, because they said that it didn't go with their communications direction, essentially. So yeah. it was it was kind of a very vague press release. It was just a single page press release that Airbus released and said, yeah, we're pulling the book it's not going to be available, you know, thanks to the author, they'll get paid, thanks to the people who reviewed it, but it doesn't fall in line with our communications of of where we want to proceed. So, part of me wonders if Airbus is a little bit shaking in their boots because who knows what they have done. You know, if if the Lion Air and Ethiopian planes hadn't gone down, no one would have known about this. Oh, true. So, I'm not saying Airbus has done anything, but I'm saying like Yeah, We didn't know this about Boeing until these events happened. And so I think that in the end, this is going to make everyone better because they're going to get in line and they're going to say, you can't keep making these mistakes.
0: I fully agree with you. I mean, the last comment, the one you said about the book being pulled, it's not surprising in a world of... uh, (laughs) as well, as a lot of PR, basically, where everybody protects their image. But I fully, on your statement, on your forward statement, if you wish, about the industry itself, I fully agree with you. I'm like you. I don't want to say it's a blessing because people died, and dramatically so. But it's kind of a cleansing, like a cathartic moment mm-hmm. when, you okay, let's put everything in front of the door and let's stop putting stuff under the rug. Let's clean their house a little bit. Because as you said earlier, there's a lot of good people with good intent, great engineers, super smart people at Boeing, and they not only need, but they deserve having a company that creates great aircrafts. And Boeing has been responsible for some of the greatest aircrafts in history, right? Uh, You mentioned uh, the 757 that you love. The 747 is the most iconic plane ever, and they do not deserve to to disappear under this. uh, They still need to be punished, or at least some of the people that were responsible to have some sort of Punishment, but if we take a high view, like a bird's eye position, it will be good for the industry, for Boeing, and for Boeing uh, in general, and for the FAA as well. Because now the FAA, the FAA is almost reacting like, can it had to prove itself? Like uh, they've been criticized so much as being too kind to Boeing, so now they being I'm not saying they're being too harsh, but it's they're doing a lot of messaging about like uh, no 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 we're not gonna requalify them cast no no we're already like as if you know they need to kind of prove that no no we we were not that guilty actually look at us we actually uh, very very strong which actually also posed the question about do you think that June deadline that you mentioned is something that is science fiction or that it is actually possible I,
1: I have no idea. I, yeah, I, yeah, I really don't. I mean, it's been a rolling delay for the last year plus. I mean, when it first happened, they were saying it was going to be April and it was going to fly yeah, again. Remember, April of yeah. 2019. And 2019, yeah. We're in uh, <laughs> January of 2020 and, you know, we're we're still talking <laughs> yeah. about June. I, I, yeah. At this point, no idea.
0: Know. The only thing that we know, and you probably know that even better than me because you're in the business, is that once it gets recertified... Each aircraft will require something like 100 hours of preparation before actually flying, and then it needs to be delivered. And then the airline themselves need to train because they're probably going to have additional training to be had along with the certification. So it's not going to be a process, oh, it's certified, and the next day they actually start actually flying. There will be also like a, a buffer, a time delay. So it will take a little bit of time, which is why I think Ryanair, for once, I'm not criticizing Ryanair. Their forecast of October is probably plausible mm-hmm. uh, hopefully for Boeing because. I hope that I don't invite you next year on January 2021, and we're still talking about this, because it was really bad, actually.
1: (laughs) So I actually saw an interesting poll on on Twitter. I think it was Brett Snyder of Cranky Flyer who did this. He said, what's going to happen first, Berlin opens or the 737 Max flies again? (laughs) 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 And I I thought about you guys, uh, you know, being Uh, (laughs) European-based.
0: Most of the guys I was booking at this uh, 300th episode of uh, Plane Talking UK that I mentioned in the previous episode, None of them believed it will open in November 2020, Berlin. Uh, So probably the 737 before, but I don't know, man, that's insane. For sure, the third runway at Heathrow will not be built, that that (laughs) I know. (laughs) Since you mentioned the numbers, a quick rundown. So the rundown is usually Alex doing that on this attache. But yeah, the Boeing orders were not great. So we got the final tally. Recently, Airbus delivered a total of 863 jets. And won 768 net new orders. Boeing delivered 380 planes. And as I said, the net order is minus 87. So they actually had 240-something new aircraft. But of course, if you remove all the cancellations for the, the MAX and a few for the Triple X, uh, 777X, that is minus 87, which... I'm like you. I'm not like Team Boeing, Team Airbus. I want competition because a single manufacturer, even though okay, there's the Comac and the Russians, they are nowhere right now, and we hear about Mitsubishi and the Koreans, or whatever. It's all small. We need competition. We cannot have just one. So I want Boeing to come back into shape as quickly as they can. And. Listen, Doug, we could talk for a long time about this uh, Mac situation. Uh, at first, it's not that fun. This is why we've been a bit avoiding it with Alex, to be to be frank. I had other news, but I want to move on because I want to talk about more fun stuff with you because we already – it's like Alex, I'm looking at the clock, and I said that earlier, and it's, time is running with you, man. I mean, we should really clearly have a meetup and record for a full day, both our podcast with all the microphones. So you guys are super active on Twitter, which is super cool because you actually keep asking listeners and people that follow you about stuff. and. I grabbed. I don't know if it's you or Drew that handles, maybe both of you that is handling the, the Twitter account, but you've asked a question about the windows. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> are they supposed to be open or not? Who owns the window? Is the person on the window seat is the one who owns or not? What are your thoughts? What Do you do? You think that you, you're owning the window or you don't?
1: Well, so uh, our social media, Drew and I kind of, we, we both have rights to it. And we both try and kind of outdo each other with questions <laughs> and pictures and things like that, which is cool because it keeps people engaged. So it's, it's a lot of fun, but we try and pose the questions before we talk about it on the next episode. Oh, sure. And that yeah. way we can pull people in and, and talk about their responses. Um, so again, when, when this episode airs, we will, we'll have already talked about it, but I'm a window guy, window seat guy. Me love too. sitting on the window seat. Same. Now, certain, certain times if I fly a, a transcon and, and whatever, I might take the aisle just that way I can hop up and, and walk around. But I'm a window guy. I love looking out the window. A lot of people say, well, yeah, you're, you're a pilot. Why would you like to do that? Because when I'm up front, <laughs> honestly, and, and people don't realize this, your head's down so much because you're looking at the instruments, you're looking at the flight plan, you're looking at the computer, you're doing all this kind of stuff. You don't actually get a lot of time to just sit to and enjoy, look out yeah. the window especially with like a glass of wine in your hand or something like that, you know, like just cross your (laughs) legs, kick back and drink some wine and look out the window. You can't do that when I'm (laughs) up front. So yeah, I'm a window open guy, absolutely, through and through.
0: And do you think that in terms of uh, courtesy, how does that work? Because, s- you know, the rule is so the person on the aisle gets access, the person in the middle gets the arm yeah. dressed, and the, the window guy gets the window. So the shade, the window shade, do you think that, I mean, for me, uh, I'll front it, for me in a night flight, yeah, you know, fake night flights, you know, these flights coming long haul, I yeah. do that a lot, coming from Asia... Well, obviously, I'm not going to be the only one opening the window and having everybody like blinded by light when they actually want to sleep. But what do you think? Do you think how does it work for you?
1: I'll keep it. I'll keep it open a little bit. Like if the person next to me is watching something on their phone or on, on the yeah, seatback yeah. screen, I won't have it fully open, just glaring on their screen. But at the same time, <laughs> I, I want to see what's what's out there. So I'll either look at the in-flight map or or something. If there's a city I want to see or, or cool pictures, whatever. But I usually keep it cracked an inch or two. That way it's not enough light to really bother anyone. Yeah. And I can still kind of look out and and see what's going on. So if we fly over... A city i want to see i can i can lift it up
0: do you like the windows of the dreamliner the dimming one
1: um embarrassingly i've never been on a dreamliner oh no
0: way. no i you haven't have to, man. in fact
1: uh drew keeps keeps saying come on man we need to go non-rev on a dreamliner i'm like tell me when and i'm there like drew i'm, I'm ready i'm ready for it let's do it <laughs> i'm not holding back <laughs> because one of the one of the quirks
0: of lock you it? have exactly they master lock yeah. it from a central command again during the middle of the night when it's actually not really night outside I can get it it frustrated Alex you've heard it in one episode yeah where, where, you, went, that where you went and
1: told them no I know you can <laughs> unlock it come to my seat
0: <laughs> unlock it that's awesome I've had that recently even though it was not a liner on some of the I think it was a triple seven I think BA does that and Emirates you know they have these things which are like the curtains they also have a master switch so sometimes. And sometimes it's just about them forgetting to undo the master switch because they're busy preparing the meals or whatever. And I... Ding, ding, ding. Can you just allow me to see what's out there or something? Uh, no, the reason I mentioned that is because it's been a staple, of course, of the Dreamliner. And the company that does these uh, windows, the dimming system, is called Gentex. And uh, they became better. The first Dreamliners that i flown, it seemed to me that even if I was on the darkest setting, there was still light coming through, kind of very, very dark, but still light. The newest one are better, but they've announced, during CES, you know, the big electronics show, they've announced the latest version, which eliminates, according to them, 99.9% of the light and it's super fast as well so that was going the like other criticism. Lag. Yeah exactly. Yeah. But the biggest biggest news Airbus is actually yeah, going for it. Uh, they haven't said 350. Everybody of course thinks it's the 350 because it's the latest plane. They haven't declared which aircrafts are going to be refitted or as an option for the airlines and that will be announced in April. But yeah 350 is clearly in the lead. Maybe the 330 the NEO, Neo yeah, as possibly. well. Or even the
1: 321XLR. XLR, XLR yeah. exactly.
0: And that will be the new Gentex the same that the new dreamliners will have the one i just mentioned and also the triple 7x will have so basically we'll have these dimming windows everywhere the one advantage of having the old dimming ones the one that were not great is that I'm a photographer and you can take great pictures with hues of violet and mauve and whatever, and that I will never have again because it will be too fast. Yeah. By the time you press a button, it
1: will be, ah, I cannot take the picture. So Delta, why the love? What makes the airline so great for you? Well, I think I mentioned this earlier. I do have to be careful what I say because yeah, yeah, Drew, Drew doesn't <laughs> Drew doesn't work for Delta. I have lots of friends who work at all the other airlines. and I. But as a passenger, let's say yeah, as a passenger. As, as a passenger, so... With all my travel, I can objectively look at all the different airlines. So it's not like some people who only fly a single airline and that's everything that they love. But objectively speaking, and a lot of a lot of your points, a lot of Alex's points are very much valid about some of the other airlines. Now, Delta, American United, are they ever going to touch a Cathay, a Singapore, a Middle East 3? Probably not. But amongst the majors, in my experience delta just has the best product overall both hard and soft products so seats and soft product offering the service and everything objectively speaking i don't know if you saw the wall street journal Article that that came out this week with with the rankings. They looked at only operations, not freaking flyer programs, yeah, not service, yeah, not yeah. passenger experience. Seats, Yeah, Ex- just exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, and so on time and yeah, yeah. On, on time lost bags, involuntary bumpings, etc. Delta was top. American was last. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, they, they were. So that's that's an objective standpoint metric uh, m- yeah. metric exactly. Before I get into kind of my experiences with them, if you also look at the financials, you look at total passengers carried. American is the largest airline in the world. But you look at revenue, Delta is actually larger than American. So all the the metrics, the revenue per available seat mile, all of those things kind of lean in in Delta's favor. So what that means is people pay a premium to fly in Delta. It's not not just me. It's not just all your other Delta fans. Everyone who travels, they, they see it. They know that service level that Delta offers is there and the numbers show it. Now, I know that in-flight entertainment is kind of a sticky subject as to whether you need it or not for short haul. Delta has gone in an opposite direction of some of the other airlines and they're actually installing in-flight entertainment screens on yeah. the majority of their domestic fleet we could debate this for hours as to whether it, yeah, as, as yeah. To whether it's necessary or not. But what I get to see, because I, I fly them once or t- or twice a month, essentially, is when I get on a Delta plane and I sit next to a person or a family who maybe hasn't flown them before, the comments I hear of, oh, this is awesome. There's a, a screen. This is so cool. So much better than the last airline that I was on. This must be a new airplane. I'm like, no, actually, you're on a 757 that was built in 1989 <laughs> or whatever. Like, this is a 30-year-old airplane. Um, <laughs> Nobody cares, though. No, no, I know. I care. They're, I, care I care. But you they're, you. they're able to take old airplanes. I mean, the, the average age of the fleet is is a lot older than a lot of the other airlines. And they completely yeah. retrofit them to the point even the sidewalls are, are brand new. And so, stepping on to – and I, I know Alex talked about this when he flew Delta a few months ago he made the comment that it's just everything is the same and it's not very exciting but at the same time that is predictable because if, if you look at a lot of airlines in the United States I
0: can say it drew United because I'm Star Alliance United is to me as again non-domestic mostly I mean do some connections with domestic is not predictable to me there's so much variance into the product that is true that it's. I don't fly Delta a lot to compare. I used to, but my experience is old. But yeah, you're right. Consistency is important. I think this is why I love Emirates, and it's probably mm-hmm. why you love
1: Delta. Yeah, that inconsistency as a flyer is is frustrating, especially as a frequent flyer. So if if yeah. you don't fly all that all that often and you're none, yeah, you you're care. none the wiser, you don't care. But if you if you fly a lot and there are multiple variations, and I do know. So a, a plug for United. United is. Trying really hard to to standardize their product. It's true. They're they're trying to they're it's trying true. to cut down on on all the variation and everything because they get it. They realize that that inconsistency in product is really difficult for especially their frequent flyers and, and the frequent flyers are the mm. people who are the bulk of their business. They're the people who are really really trying to keep keep happy. Essentially, of
0: course, yeah. From makes sense
1: a lounge perspective, I think the Sky Club is probably better than well, definitely better than the Admiral's club i mean the admiral's club is cheese cubes and hummus and that is it. true yeah that that's <laughs> it now uh, and United, United Club has, has more, not as much hearty food, if you will, like meal food as, yeah. as the Sky Club. United and American both have premium lounges for their premium True. customers. Delta doesn't because they offer that for everyone, which for me is a mainly domestic flyer. I can fly through Atlanta and I can go to their top lounges which serve the majority of the international traffic. And on a domestic ticket, I can enter and, and have the same great food, actual meals, not just cheese cubes and, and hummus. And I don't have to be flying in, in, in Delta One. <laughs> so to me, yeah, that, that's yeah. that's kind of a, a nice a nice benefit. Not to mention a lot of the the smaller lounges too still have actual meals throughout the day.
0: Here, you're putting a very good point as in, because they're pleasing a larger base of their customers means that they have more fans overall. Because most of the airlines I fly, because I fly in business class, I will have a good experience. But if it's limited to the very few that are on top, I've been, since we're talking about United a bit, I've been to their, the flagship yeah. United Lounge yeah. that they have, for instance, in London and yeah, one the, in one of the US. Polaris, yeah, the Lounge. Yeah. yeah, they are amazing. But it's true. You're very right to say that. It's true that if they are limited to a very narrow band of customers, and the others do not get any cool experience, then the fans will be very limited. Whereas if Delta offers that to a larger base, of course, then they have, and that explains why well, we're getting all these messages every time. But yeah, it's very, it's a very good point. Actually, I didn't think yeah. about that.
1: And if if, wow. if you look at kind of the composition of the fleets as well, the the configurations in in the airplanes. American is very premium heavy on their international flights, but they're very, mm-hmm. very low premium seats on their domestic flights. They <laughs> they have a lot got, fewer yeah. <laughs> premium seats than than both United and Delta. And so you can see what okay. market they're really trying to attract. Yeah. They're almost more like a low cost carrier domestically in the U.S., but on their international routes, they're a premium carrier. And so there's this big disconnect. Interesting. R- yeah, really yeah, big yeah, disconnect right. there. Now, that said, I can't say all bad things about other airlines aside from Delta. So in in the forward cabin, last year I flew up front on Alaska, United, American and Delta. So I had a, a pretty good oh, a, wow. a pretty good smattering to to be able to decide. They're all pretty close. Alaska was probably towards the bottom in in a service standpoint a soft product standpoint. The hard product was pretty much the same. And you kind of come to expect that from a premium cabin. They're they're all going to be yeah. pretty much the same. Kind of where that where the differentiator is is the back of the airplane, which is where the majority of the people are. And again, that's not where the money is, but that's where the majority of the people are. Delta's extra legroom seats, they now consider a class of its own. They call it Comfort Plus, and they sell it Mm -hmm. on its own. It's not, you can can pay to upgrade to it, but you can also buy an entire itinerary in Delta Comfort Plus. And so it's not just extra legroom seats. I was actually recently in Comfort Plus think coming back from Florida or something, I I don't remember. But it almost was a first class level of service. They brought the drinks on a tray. I was blown away by this that you know the little silver tray that they sometimes come around and, and serve drinks on, complimentary alcoholic drinks on a silver tray. They came by the seat probably three or four times asking if I needed something more, what I needed. And I was like, wait a minute, am I in first class or am I in comfort plus? <laughs> I'm laughing
0: because I'm just comparing that to me sitting in business class on AA and domestic and this is nothing like that. And that's AA, wow. So am I right? He's saying it's almost like a proper premium economy it, you know, with uh, a good yes, service. Yes,
1: now the, the seats, the yeah. seats, it's the same width as the main cabin.
0: But to be honest, premium economy, and that's probably, it was actually one of your uh, points, I think in uh, was. Is it the next decade or the previous decade? I don't remember. But premium economy is one of the, for me, the most innovative things that I ever came by. The downside of premium economy today is that it's very inconsistent. You never know what premium economy is. For some, is extra legroom, and for some, is like an actual different yeah. seat. But at least what you're describing here for Delta is that you have a proper, almost cabin with this dedicated service, mm-hmm. which is differentiated from the back. So that's yeah. cool. Wow. yeah. I, okay. I was I was that's blown cool. away,
1: blown away by that. And I've flown in in the. "Quote unquote premium economy in American and United as well. United was pretty good. American just the level just didn't didn't match up.
0: And how is I'm very curious. How is Delta One? How is sorry Delta? Yeah. One? So
1: I um I I know the last time you flew on that you're on a seven sixty seven. I think that's definitely the lower end of, yeah. of the spectrum. And I feel bad talking about Alex when, <laughs> when, he, when he's not here. Uh, I, I know that he really raves about flagship business and, and flagship first on, on American, but American 767s are configured the same way as, as Delta's Delta 1. So if, oh, if okay. he were... I know, that. I know he loves the 777-300 ER, and I know he's done that a couple yep. times. If he was flying flagship business from, say, Philly to I don't know, somewhere to the east of you guys, he might be on a seven. 6 in the same seat that you were talking about on Delta 1. Oh, I so see. avoid the 76. That's all I have to say. Delta 1 is a really good product if you're not on the 76. The soft product is is really good, but the hard product it's not great. But they are retrofitting their 76 400s with the new the column suites, the 400s they don't have a door like the new Delta 1 suites. Yeah. But they are upgrading yeah. the product and and everything. I haven't done United Polaris yet. So I can't really compare it to that. Actually, my upcoming Polaris trip in the next month or two. So look out, ah. look out for that.
0: I uh, <laughs> will. They introduced a new dining experience on Delta. We had a one of our um, a listener, Anthony Wood, nineteen. And I'm sorry, Anthony, I don't remember if it was on on Instagram or on Twitter who uh, said that he had flown from Dusseldorf to Atlanta on a, a 764 that was not retrofitted, however. He experienced a welcome cocktail, the new dining, and he said that he was good. He thinks that uh, the size of the meals had shrunk, but overall, he was a good thing, the new dining experience. So have you seen a difference? I, I actually, actually, I not haven't really. had a
1: chance to, to try that. Yet, ah, they, to try yeah, yeah, they just okay. rolled it out in November, just yeah, late, yeah, November, late yeah. last yeah. year. Yeah. So I, I haven't had a chance to try that yet, but it definitely, it seems like a step in the right direction it does seem like they're they're trying
0: and uh what do you think about uh, this all Bastion saying that they not getting rid off SkyTeam, but kind of going their own way. We think it's a trend. We think that more airlines will actually go for it. Do you think it's a byproduct of them being so strong, you said, not only the product, but also financially, so that they wanted to take their destiny in
1: their own hands? I think that it's more a product of open skies and treaties. Be- True. Because if you think about it, alliances were created in the late 90s. And it was, it was kind of an easy way to get a, a big partnership. The first alliance yep. was Northwest KLM in 1992, yeah. 93 And then the Star, One World, and Sky Team shortly followed in the late 90s. It was an easy way to get those co-chair agreements, to, to get large groups of airlines to work together. But now that we have these bilateral agreements all over the world between countries and, and multiple flights and ownership rules and, and all that, I feel like we're moving away from not alliances in general but more fine tuned for what works for each airline to kind of trickle outside of the alliance per se. Do I think alliances in general are going away? No, absolutely not. I, I think that in some form or fashion, there will always be airline alliances. There's not going to be a Pan Am anymore that has flights literally all over the world. You know, you can fly Pan Am back in the day from. Frankfurt to Taipei through India and, and all over. that, that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's all it's all localized based on, on the airlines. And the airlines are, are starting to find their strengths and find exterior partners in, in Delta's case with Latam in South America, it, yep. with Virgin yep. Atlantic, kind of yep. IAG with Aer Lingus and possibly Air Europa now. So, all, all these different outside of alliances, these partnerships that are that are possible because of all these new treaties and, and open skies. So, what we mean by that is the ability to fly from country to country without having to apply for a, a flight or a, a slot, yeah, if yeah. you will. I will add to
0: that the rise, uh, which the most important thing that happened in the past twenty years, the rise of low costs, and especially if you look at the markets in Asia where airlines like Air Asia and others have basically are the market. The example I mentioned earlier of Qatar Airways linking with Deutsche Bahn, you know, the train operator is one, but uh, there's interlining agreements between Emirates and EasyJet. They are not alliances, but like you say, they are fine-tuning, finding how do I get feeder access. It's also probably due to the amount of data they have about their passengers nowadays, so they can know that, oh, Doug is actually in Sacramento and doing this. I mean, you probably have a very weird set of routes, <laughs> dude. The analytics uh, confuse them. You know, you can certainly analyze better where is your actual network compared to your where you actually land, and probably fine tune. And I fully agree with you. I think it's a much much easier with the open skies. Um, agreement What do you think? Because you talk about K L, what do you think about K L M? Do you like? I that? do. I know that you you like
1: the delivery. so it, I, my my thing with K L M it, it kind of goes back to why I like the D C ten because my my dad always flew Northwest when I was a kid and he had Northwest miles anytime we. Ah, I love. Northwest. Anytime we would go to Europe, we'd fly KLM or Northwest, but mainly KLM, the houses that you get, uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, Delft yeah, yeah. houses and, and all that. I mean, there, there's just something, there's something awesome about it. I haven't flown KLM long haul in, in probably almost 20 years. I, I've done some short haul in Europe on KLM. I know a lot of people kind of complain about KLM and, and Air France. I, I mean, it's been a, a decade since I've, I've flown Air France long haul as well. It's just some, you know, nostalgia. <sighs> My parents actually fly KLM almost once a year whenever they go to Europe, they still fly KLM and the pictures that they send, I mean it they've gone fully lie flat. The seats are, are pretty pretty comparable to business class seats. No, they're making a good
0: effort. They are. I mean, I've, I know I'm bitching sometimes about them, but it's a very well-run airline, actually better run than Air France. Yeah. Sometimes the service likes for me and they've the rollout of the new business class is not as fast, but removing all this, it's a great airline, very consistent as well. I would love your father because for me, Northwest was because I love design, whether it's the logo, the livery, the magazine, mm-hmm. the leaflet, everything was perfect, which is why I was sad. I mean, I like Delta, but I was sad to see them go because I really love them. Back to KLM, uh, one piece of news which will sadden a lot of our listeners, me and probably you as well. They've announced the retirement of their 747s will be in January 2021. And the last flight will be the combi actually, which I've flown to Hong Kong about 10 years ago now. It will be a flight from New York to Amsterdam on January 3rd, 2021. Guys, get your bookings if you want to fly the last 747 from, from KLM. It's so sad that they're disappearing. And I agree. Coming back to Delta, and I agree with you, what I admire about Delta is that they are actually innovative. They might not be as splashy. This is what you hinted at earlier. They're consistent, et cetera, But they've always been very uh, smart about how they roll out innovations. Uh, we, we talked in a previous episode about the binge button. I don't know if that's a big innovation or not, but it's still fun. But the one thing that I've noted, and you probably heard about it being a, a Delta flyer, is For me, one of the biggest complaints about airlines in general is they're hinting at an overhaul or a change in the flexibility structure of fares, meaning that we always have like no rebook or consolation in, and it's super hard to actually. I mean, you have some leverage if you have status because, you know, they give you kind of cut corners, fast track to that. But that will be a huge innovation if they were able and thinking about changing how flexible we can be into switching maybe a day or an hour. Or I think Ed Bassin, if I quote him, said, we will approach flexibility differently than this industry has in the past. Change fees,
1: people feel they are punitive. And it's true. So I'm sure you've heard about this. Do you think it will happen? Southwest does it and it seems to work. And yeah. So well, so going yeah. back to the earlier question you asked me, do I travel differently when I'm with my family as opposed to with business? I always try and find a way to fly Delta if I can when we're flying on vacations or, or family outings, but the flexibility of Southwest and, and being able to, to change your flight, you pay the the fair difference, but you don't pay a change fee. With my unpredictable schedule, my wife having to travel for work sometimes, she flies Southwest almost primarily for work because if I have a trip come up or something and she she has to change her work schedule, they don't have to pay for it. So I I definitely do think that that would be a a step in the right direction. And if you think about it, all these ancillary fees, the bag fees and, and change fees, they all came around after the financial crisis or, or right around the financial crisis, when all these airlines were in bankruptcy, they weren't making money, they were trying to find ways. Well, as you mentioned, with with data, with big data, with revenue management, with all this, the airlines are, are finding ways to make money that they hadn't ever been able to. It really comes down to scheduling. It comes down to flying the right sized airplane on the right day, the right route. So one day you might have a, a 737-900 with 180 people flying around the next day, it might be a, a 717 with 110 people. And they're able to right-size it. 10, 15 years ago, before big data, they would just throw the same airplane at the same route every single day, and it would fly half empty, and they're losing money on that. Well, now that they're making money on just being smart about their operations, they're actually looking at ways that they can make it better for the passenger, which would be cutting back these change fees because they're already making a lot of of money on, as I said, being smart with their operations.
0: Yeah, I fully agree. I think as well, adding to the, the big data play is also processing power. We used to live in a world of batches. You know, the reason people are paid once a month is because you need to process the paywall for once a month because there was no processing power, whether it's somebody punching paper or a computer trying to deliver that. We live now in a world, or going to live in a world, which you can do everything instantaneously, and that includes, now that you know which airplane is where and what your operation should be looking like, also being able to switch very easily to realize, oh, we have a spot there because somebody cancelled and you can very quickly... Uh, I had mentioned that uh, with Amadeus Swiss has already introduced uh, auto rebooking automatically reallocate you to flights that are the best for you etc and I think we're getting into this you know so when you have this in mind I fully expect other airlines to follow suit because really for me it's um, like you my schedule keeps changing all the time and I, I eat them up you know sometimes I have to pay the 300 or $400 on international flights to change my date and well I just have to because I mean that's my schedule, but yeah, I think there's less less of an excuse. Do you like your Wi-Fi in
1: flight? I do. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a millennial? I am. Yeah. Uh, oh, there you go. That's why. Uh, I although I, I, I identify <laughs> as, as Gen X. I'm an old yeah. soul. You're a Xenial. Yeah, You're yeah, a, adapt, I'm, uh, uh, I'm at that tr- transition point, if you will. Transition yeah, exactly. period,
0: yeah. Delta wants to introduce free Wi-Fi. I mean, it's maybe a bit early, but that's also one of the plans. I yeah. Think, right? um,
1: I, I know Ed Bashan. It's been a goal of his for a, a year or two. It comes down to bandwidth. They did some trials back in May. They picked several random flights for a couple of weeks where they gave the entire airplane free Wi-Fi just to kind of test the system. And the test came back positive in that the passengers loved it, but negative in that the bandwidth issues, everyone slowed down. And so right now with with the for pay Wi-Fi, I know you're probably rolling your eyes because you guys don't really have it in Europe. So I'm I'm sorry, (laughs) but uh, for pay Wi-Fi, because not a lot of people are using it, it's not the same bandwidth as what you have at a hotel or at your house, whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. still, yeah. It, it's it's good. It's fast. It works. A lot of the times, I, I actually have to get work done on the flight. So I'll, I'll pay for it and and use it that way. I mean,
0: you're right about Europe. But since, as you know, I fly a lot internationally, a very long haul. I recently had experiences in Qatar, for instance, that the Wi-Fi is very good. Like you say, you can work. Normally. I mean, you're probably not being able to the podcast we do now because the latency will be high. Yeah.
1: But I mean, it's it's impressive already. One thing that I have noticed is Delta only uses GoGo for their Wi-Fi okay. provider. A lot of the other airlines in the US have two, sometimes three providers. And so you have to pay per flight. On Delta, I can pay for an entire day pass because it's go-go. Oh wow. So I can pay if I know that I'm on a two-flight or a three flight day, I can pay the one flat fee for the entire the entire day, and I know that I'm gonna have the same provider on on the next flight. Whereas on say American, they have ISAT, they have go-go, and they have Panasonic. So I might be on a go-go airplane in the morning connecting in Phoenix, and then I'm on a Panasonic, and they say, Sorry, we're not going to honor your go-go pass. You have to you have to buy it again, and that's yeah. frustrating. Which is a passenger experience. That is really is bad. frustrating yeah. from a passenger experience. Yeah. yeah,
0: that almost is to the airline that should provide like a you know unique login, and no matter what you have in the background, should actually simply work. I mean, yeah, that's I never wow, I never thought about that. Let's talk about two more items of science fiction of Delta, and then a bit to 220, and we'll move because we have a very long episode already. And I want to hear your thoughts about MSP because I know some of our listeners have been waiting for that one for long. I said, I like that Delta innovates and they keep doing that. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the beta experience building at Detroit. They call it parallel reality. So, apparently, right after security TSA, you have this massive screen. It's opt in. So, Delta flyers can, I guess, scan their boarding pass there. And the sci fi aspect of that screen is that. At the same time, a hundred people looking at the same screen can have a hundred different appearance of that screen. So simultaneously, you, Doug, and me, Paul, would be looking at the same screen, but have different information, which could be the location of the Delta Sky Club, which could be in Spanish or in English or other language, which could be the wayfinding, which could be where is our flight, the gate, etc. And they call it multi-view pixels. I don't know how that works, but it's it's pretty cool. I don't know if that's the future, but to a, a personalization of flying because we're living in a world of self-serve or more and more happens on our phones, having that could be part of the experience. I just hope that they don't start to service ads all the time.
1: But besides <laughs> that, uh, that's pretty sci-fi stuff. I kind of like that. Yeah, it makes sense because Detroit's one of their one of their big European and Asian hubs. And Even more sci-fi is, you probably saw it
0: during CES, and that's more on the operational side of things. The uh, exoskeleton.
1: I saw that, that. yeah. It can lift can lift five times the, <laughs> the body weight or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty impressive. I
0: think the guys were making a demo with an actual airplane wheel, and the guy was basically lifting the wheel yeah. by himself. It looked like aliens it's or like something. like Iron Man. The same. Yes, yeah. awesome. And I'm sure that will be used. I, I've seen some demonstrations of exoskeleton in Japan, But it was more like to help elderly being still able to kind of carry groceries and stuff. But this is like, man, this is awesome. So I'll finish with one news. You said that you haven't flown the 220 yet. So I'm not going to go on the other 220 news. I wanted just one. Congratulations to them because they delivered their 100th to 20 to Air Baltic that was last November. As we said and you probably know, Doug, the base model is actually the 300 and not the 100 that most people assumed. The news is we know they were working on the 500 extension because Air France and KLM and also Korean I think they all said publicly that they want it. The juicy part is that they are apparently starting to model for the 700, even 900, some
1: say 1,000. So this plane could be a smash hit. Oh, it's going to be. It's not a could. It's going to be, yeah. You need to fly it. Man. Oh man, I know. <laughs> I, I I told you I, I was supposed to. I was supposed to. Maybe I, I, I still have time. Maybe they'll change it back. <laughs>
0: ah. Okay, let's go to the airport. Minneapolis, Saint Paul, uh, that I've been once, but I don't remember any of it. You told me that my choice of lounge was wrong, so I will listen to to you talk about it. So, Donny four one two six and Kyle Potterman K Potter M N on Twitter. You asked for it. There you go. I invited Doug just to tell us all about MSP. Is it a great airport? Please, the microphone is yours. Tell us all about
1: it. (laughs) All right. Minneapolis, for those who don't know, it's called the Twin Cities. So it's two cities right next to each other, essentially, Minneapolis and St. Paul. Surprisingly, it has almost 4 million people in the the metro area. It's 3.6 million. So it's not an insignificant number. The airport itself... Does almost 40 million passengers a year, so we're not we're not talking Heathrow or or JFK or Atlanta numbers, but it's definitely not an insignificant amount of people. It's a major Delta hub. They got it from Northwest, so it was it was one of Northwest's major hubs until the merger in the late 2000s. It's actually a, a pretty large international gateway for Delta. They they've got a lot of flights to Asia and several to Europe as well. Used to be a, a 747 haven. Unfortunately, you, you don't see that much anymore. You, you don't see it at all anymore. But they do get some international traffic in there, aside from Delta, through the joint ventures. So you see Air France, KLM, I believe Virgin, I think, has has been in there seasonally as well. So you, you do get some of that. There are two terminals. So the main one is Terminal 1, which is pretty much the legacy carriers, So Delta, United, American. And then there's Terminal 2 which is actually on the other side of the airport, which is the low-cost terminal. So Southwest Sun Country, which is a low-cost carrier based in Minneapolis frontier, they they all use Terminal 2. And unlike Madrid, it is connected via a, a tram system. <laughs> so it's not like going from T1 and T2 all the way over to, to T4 in Madrid. So definitely a plus there. It is a very large footprint, almost 100 gates, actually over 100 gates in Delta's oh, wow. Delta's wow. terminal. A lot of people don't realize actually the, the scale of the airport itself. I think there are 14 or 15 gates over at the low-cost terminal. It's laid out kind of like Amsterdam. That's, that's probably the closest that I can compare it to. It's not as nice in... Like an architectural standpoint, as Amsterdam, like you yeah. said, you, you didn't remember it, which that that's good and that's that's bad. You know, it's it's good that it, it wasn't a bad experience, but it, exactly it, it yeah, is yeah. it is forgettable, but not in a bad way.
0: I uh, Sorry to interrupt you right there when you say like mm-hmm. Amsterdam, the old Amsterdam was security at the gate. Is that security? No, it's It's one. Uh, yeah, one central. No.
1: And, and actually, Minneapolis. Good. Minneapolis is known for having really bad security queues. I'll talk about that here in a sec for, for the layover portion of it. But airside anyways, it's like Amsterdam j- just in the setup, that it's kind of several long piers with with a couple different concourses that that jut out, and and they're all connected. So once you get inside of security, at least if, if you're in Terminal 1, which is Delta's terminal, you can get to every gate. You don't have to go out of security. It's a, a relatively long connecting airport, so if, if you come into you said you left from the g gates i think and if you if you have to go to c it's probably about a 20 25 minute walk i mean it's that's what i remember i, I did the opposite c to yeah.
0: g but i remember i had to kind of walk a little bit yeah which is fine but yeah i do yeah it's, that. it's yeah. not
1: it's not insignificant and it's again the architectural standpoint it's dull but not in a bad way it's it's just it it is what it is functional, functional exactly and, and minneapolis yeah. is kind of Several decades worth of construction projects that have built it to what it is. I know Alex hates Seattle. It's not like Seattle <laughs> in in that you know it's <laughs> it's multiple construction. It, it actually functions, I th- I think, better than than Seattle. Okay, there are two Delta Sky Clubs. They're actually building a, a third large. Sky Club, that's going to be closer. Hold on.
0: You say there are two. So when I made the mistake, it was not out of seven. No, it's only on I two. just chose. You had a 50% oh chance.
1: Now, here, here's the reason why you did that. The one that you went to, which is between the F and the G concourse, yeah, serves correct. most of the international gates. You can go to the other okay. one and, and then go to the international gates, but they probably tell you, or you would go to the one closest to your gate. Yeah, that's what yeah, I did, yeah. The re- The reason why you chose yeah. the wrong one is it's an interior club. There are windows, so it's it's not like you're in a basement or something. But there's no runway or exterior sure. views. There's a smaller club on the C concourse. Not as good of food, but you've got really good runway and ramp views, and it's a little bit more uh, of an intimate intimate setting. It's it's not as big, okay. But it's in my opinion, I'll go there ten times out of ten over over the one that you went to, even if it means a little extra walking. Now, again, the food isn't as good there, but it's more than just cheese cubes and hummus. So, there, there is that. <laughs> there's a United Club. So, if you're flying United, there's a United Club. And then there's an Escape Lounge, which is an independent lounge as well that you can utilize. But they are building a brand new 15,000 square foot Sky Club, which I heard... I couldn't find this to confirm it, but I, I heard that there might be a Sky Deck, which is the outdoor yeah. oh, v- wow. viewing space. So. They're definitely cool. they're investing in in the development and growth of of Minneapolis now, I know when you guys talk about airports, you talk about layovers, so is Minneapolis a good airport for a layover? yeah, yes, absolutely look, you can replace me. It's perfect. Whenever we
0: stop that podcast, you can take yeah, yeah go Yeah, to- <laughs> no,
1: I've, I've, I've listened to you guys enough that, that I, I kind of know how, how you operate. So it's a good airport in the layover sense. If you have to stay at the airport, it's not bad. If you don't have lounge access, there's actually an observation deck that you can go to. Oh, Terminal D, go up the stairs, and it's an interior room where you can see the ramp. It's, it's above the gates, so you can see all the gates. You can see the runways. You can see the ramp. And it's, it's never crowded because no one knows about it. And there aren't really signs.
0: Yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't it's, know
1: about it because I would have gone there oh, more you than should, go to lounge. I went to lounge. You I, the lounge you know I, I remember traveling oh my with my dad as a kid. He would, he would say, come on, let's go to the World Club, which was the Northwest Club back in the day. And I said, no, I want to go to the observation deck. And now as <laughs> someone who has lounge <laughs> access traveling with my kids... I'm like, come on, let's go to the club. And my daughter's like, no, I want to go watch this or, or whatever. I'm like, no, let's go to the club. So I, I totally get it. But <laughs> no, it's it's awesome. So uh, Terminal D, if you guys don't have lounge access, grab some food, get it to go, and just go sit and watch airplanes for hours up there. Wow. It's it's never crowded. Really good views. So Terminal D, place to go. But if you have a long layover, easy, easy to get into the city or to go to the Mall of okay. America. They've got a light rail that runs right through the airport so you can go land side hop on the light rail minneapolis is a great town mall of america used to be the the largest mall i think in the world until all the dubai malls and, and everything opened up yeah like, all the, yeah wow uh, indoor theme park it'll take you 10 minutes 15 minutes tops probably to get to mall of america 30 35 minutes to get to downtown so if you have a six seven hour layover leave the airport wow it's of america go yeah. downtown but like we talked about The TSA, TSA, yeah, yeah, it's it's really slow in Minneapolis, so plan for that. And uh, the one memory I have, and since you've done it 200
0: times, the one memory I have of that uh, March 2011 is that it was snowing. Does that happen a it lot? It does.
1: Yeah it's 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 a northern <laughs> it's a northern tier airport, so it could snow from September to probably May in Minneapolis. So do you get delayed a lot? No, not not okay? not really, because they're so used to it that they have it they, okay, have, they kind yeah. of have it down to a science. They've got what they call drive through deicing pads, so the, the airplanes will leave the gate, go taxi. They'll de- ice them and then they'll they'll go take off. Airports like that are are equipped. It's not like Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I was gonna say uh-uh. that, but I didn't, didn't want to make you guys feel bad. Um, <laughs> no, no, don't worry. Don't yeah, they're 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 used to it. So they they know how to how to deal with the snow and, and how to handle it. I like these
0: airports. It's just like, let's get on with it, you know, like the Nordics here in Europe. I'm O C D when it comes about tracking my flights, like probably you are. So I have a database of like an expert spreadsheet when I've read everything and I had for those two flights, I had the you know, the actual runway time, uh, landing, etc. cetera. Yeah, and I was ahead of time. The Delta flight to Amsterdam, it was snowing, and we were ahead. It probably got de-iced. That, I don't remember. I should have actually added a column on that spreadsheet to say where we de-iced, but then I've not done it. The only thing I wrote is efficient about that airport, which probably is what it is, like you, you describe it. Wow. OK, so we should do a layover, go to the Model America, go to the city. All the people that have requested at the airport, there you go. We will come at some point, meet some of you guys. We'll cover, not today, because this episode is already like super freaking long. Uh, sorry for those who wanted a 30-minute episode. We'll cover Sacramento one of these days, so maybe we'll ask you for some tips when we do. So now to close, I'm going to re-encourage you once more to listen to the Next Trip podcast. It's awesome. I'm so glad that you guys are making it. I'm so glad that you are making it. Give uh, our listeners where to go to listen to it, the Twitters and all the stuff that you're using.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you go to officerwayfinder.com slash podcast, it has links to all the different podcast applications that you can get it. Or you can just search Next Trip Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're listed pretty much everywhere as far as I know. You can find us on Twitter, Next Trip Podcast, or my personal Twitter, O Wayfinder. Look forward to uh, to having you guys listen and Honestly, thanks thanks again, Paul, for having me on. And uh, hopefully sometime we can do this with Alex and we can kind of banter back and forth as well. <laughs> You haven't heard it, because I know that's the first thing you will do as soon
0: as we start recording this. In episode uh, 103, I mentioned this, uh, one of the plans this year is to do either live recordings or at least group recordings, meaning going on site with people and listeners and having a bit of fun. So uh, there you go. I'll have to come to Sacramento, and I'll bring Alex along, and uh, we'll have Drew Fly uh, United. Uh, That would be so cool to actually do that and meet you. And, And thank you so much. Duke, you were awesome. I know we could have talked for five more episodes right here. So thank you for doing that with me. And again, guys, listen to him giving five stars. You have to, trust me. And we'll meet online again. Thanks, guys. This was awesome. Fly safe. Happy travels.